Hello and welcome. This is episode number 18 of Future Tech Chat. Uh, today we'll be discussing sports and we have some dancing going on in this week's Future Tech Chat. Everybody is very excited about uh, about the sports topic, as, as am I, of course. How are you guys doing? Uh, Nick and Mike are with me, as always. Doing great. Cool. We like sports, and we don't care who knows. <laughs> <laughs> Not afraid to show it here. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, so for this occasion, we we're all wearing jerseys, which uh, will give the people watching the, the feed a nice visual. Uh, do you guys want to talk about, a bit about why you're wearing the jersey you're wearing? Mike, why don't you start? Well, I'm wearing the uh, Columbia National jersey. They recently had uh, relative success in the World Cup compared to what they had before, but unfortunately got eliminated in a very uh, saddening event by Brazil. Um, but then Brazil got mauled the next game, so slightly uh, satisfying for that. That's good. But I'm, I'm wearing it because uh, my wife is Colombian, so by proxy, I am also a Colombian fan. Nice. In the interest of marital hegemony. <laughs> exactly. <Or> hegemony. <laughs> and Nick, how about you? Uh, well, continuing on with the theme of spectacular eliminations, I support <laughs> the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, born and raised in Leafs territory, and uh, it's you're either a Leafs fan or one of those people. So... <laughs> Here I am. Nice. Uh, I'm I'm supporting Arsenal today. They're a soccer team in the English Premier League. And a bunch of Southern Jessies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm obviously the sponsor today is O2. <laughs> um, thanks to them for being a <laughs> great phone company. A, a mobile phone company in Europe. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're so happy with their service, maybe. <laughs> They're actually supposed to be one of the better ones. Yeah, their prices are fantastic compared to here. <laughs> um, but today, as obvious, obviously, we're talking about sports, uh, and specifically technology and sports, not uh, not necessarily just technology companies sponsoring sports teams. <laughs> uh, so let's start. I want to start with a, a, something that's topical because I just heard about, heard about it last night watching the CFL. Uh, and it'll sort of incorporate, it'll bring... Uh, a few of the points that I want to talk about in while making it relevant to people. Uh, so the CFL, I learned this season has just instituted uh, the fact that you can challenge uh, pass interference calls. Hmm. So you they you can ask for the review, throw the challenge flag, and they have to go to the instant replay to verify that it was or wasn't pass interference. How and many challenges can you issue in a game? I think two. I think two, yeah. Okay. I think it's one per half. I yeah. think I don't know if you can save it for the second half. I think yeah, and something like if you if it's if the challenge is wrong or it's overruled, you lose a timeout as well. Yeah. Um, That's but, a great system. Yeah, but they were talking about because it, it's been used in the NFL for a few years, but not on penalties. If a penalty is called, that's you can't challenge it. But uh, they were saying, and in this game, it proved kind of true that it might get to the point where people will. <clears throat> either a just to get a break in the action, they'll they'll challenge something, or people will use it as like on the last play of the game, you throw up a hail mary, 
and pretty much on every Hail Mary there's some sort of pass interference, so they'll, they'll find something, and it's basically just a free play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that ended up happening. There was a play uh, down on... It was... I mean, they threw it into the end zone, but it was just into the end zone. And was this CFL or NFL? CFL. And so oh, so like, you know, massive end zone. Like, <laughs> get lost in there. Well, it's, it is 65 yards across and 15 yards deep. <laughs> um, but so he, he threw it, and there was, there was, they were, the guy was holding the corner of his jersey, a bit of his shoulder, and called pass interference. So this play that would have been basically third and out, they would have tried for a long field goal, ended up being they get the ball in the one. Because of something that kind of happens in every play a little bit, so it's sort of a judgment call either way. Um, and so they were hoping that, the, the commentators were hoping that this didn't become sort of a common thing, but it seems like um, every call, sort of now that this is a new rule, every call is going to be kind of a precedent for the future of the, the system. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like people will start using it because it worked so well for the, uh, it was the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in this case. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'll pass the question on to you guys in a more general form. What do you think about um, challenges in general, but maybe more specifically on challenges for uh, penalties? Like being able to challenge a call, like a penalty call on mm-hmm. the field. Yeah. I think just relating it to the, the instant replay concept, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's very useful when it comes to touchdowns or goals or that kind of thing. When it's a black and white, it was either a goal or it wasn't. It was either a touchdown or it wasn't. The ball crossed the line or didn't. The puck crossed the line or didn't. With penalties, they're very subjective to who's making the call, and even the rules are often very gray, um, like pass interference. I'd like, I don't know what the specific rule is. I'm sure there is a bit more to it than, oh, he interfered or I don't know like I don't know what the specific yeah. rules are but it's at the end of the day I think it's still subjective to the ref making the call um, so yeah, I don't think you can go to an instant replay and say oh yeah you're right that was or that wasn't you're just taking a closer look at it <clears throat> but I think at the end of the day still still subjective so I, I don't know if it's beneficial like I'd, I'd like to think that if the ref didn't have enough of a spot to make the call then they wouldn't make it in the first place but I don't know but to answer your question I, I don't know Good answer. Way, way to pick a side. How about you, Nick? So are we are we saying like uh, penalties specifically, or no, sorry, what? anything? But I mean, if you can specifically relate something to penalties, then more power to you. Um, honestly, I in my mind, that's called getting the call right. So I am all in favor of these, like you know, icing that went unnoticed or. A famous example. Well, it's only famous because like the pan- the GM of the Florida Panthers like would not let it go for several years. Like the Leafs enforcer Colt Noor was sitting right in front of the goalie, and as a shot happened, he just kind of like fell on top of the goalie, but he like leapt sideways to try and stay out of the out of the way, a la Bobby Orr. Right. But. Uh, He's a face puncher, so much less graceful than Bobby Orr, and just, like, fell on top of the Florida goalie. And then, you know, he's sprawling around, the puck goes in, they don't call it, and the GM hasn't let it go for years. And uh, if they just, like, called it back and said, oh, wait, let's look at this again, Mm -hmm. you could have saved such a headache. Or uh, what was... 
Didn't the Ducks eliminate the Flames from the playoffs? And... Uh, was it the Ducks? It was. I know it was Martin Jelena that had the goal that was you called. You in the playoffs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it wasn't the Ducks. They never played the Ducks. It was... I think it wasn't it the Ducks in like 2009 or something? It was when the Ducks won the Cup. They they put the the big headline on the next morning's I think it was the Calgary Sun of the goal of the puck in the net, and the, like the the goalie's pad was that just, was that was in the Stanley Cup final that was against Tampa it wasn't final no it was the yeah. semi final like the no, that was, conference final no that was Tampa when they played Tampa and it was on its edge like yeah, and past the was, goal that, but it was fully in the net yeah that was Tampa okay trust me it was 2003 but it's okay yeah. But there might have been there might have been a one against the Ducks later. I don't know which one you're talking right. about with that one, but. And in that case, yeah, anywho, anywho, what I think is that doing this with penalties, while it w it would probably in the long term hold teams more accountable to their actions, I it's it's questionable whether it's effective because well in in the example of football, there's a hold somewhere on the field on. 95% of plays at least that mm -hmm. just it, it's minor or it doesn't get called and if you start being able to challenge anything quickly either players are going to have to be held accountable or the game's just going to slow down to a crawl because you're going to be using challenges all over the place like I know you only have two mm -hmm. but they'll be used in such sort of meaning or meaningless ways but probably on meaningful plays so I mean in, in the example of hockey yeah. There are probably little hooks and interference going on all the time that we don't see because the cameras aren't on that play or whatever it is. But if you start challenging those, it just sort of breaks down the entire game for a while until. So long as you, so long as you have like a limited number of them, though, like you should be fine. Yeah. I think I think what you can do is, in order to avoid coaches just throwing the flag and hoping that something is seen in the replay, say in hockey, like in that example where you know, players and the coach saw Colton or knocked the goalie down. If the coach throws a flag or whatever and says, hey, you know, Colton or knocked our goalie down before the puck went in, um, and we think it was goaltender interference, if they make a specific pre-call and then they go to the replay and say, yep, you're right, or if they look and there's, say, like, an interference call on someone else, they're not going to call it because that wasn't the original intent of the challenge. So sure. I, I think that's true. That's fair. If, if if you can if the coach can make a challenge and specify what penalty they saw or they think should have been called, then that's the only one that is up for overturning. Or same thing in football. If you say, oh, you know, so and so was grabbing so and so's shoulder pad, then they go to there and they see a hold somewhere else. They're not going to call that because that wasn't what was challenged. It was whatever right. else that was challenged. And I think that can avoid the 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 idea of, you know, everything, like anything happens on the field all the time, so that something's going to be called. I think, because there, there's obvious cases where, yeah, something was obviously missed, and I think those are worthy of a challenge. Right. To, to bring it back into technology, though, um, the point that they were making on the during the game is that basically the coaches up in the booth have access to all the camera angles live. Like, they can switch between them at will, and they're all high def, and they can zoom in, and so even if you're talking about these meaning meaningless plays that nobody sees because they're not on the broadcast system, a coach up in the booth can see a little hold happening, and say throw the challenge flag. We can obviously overturn this play because there was a hold there, so the the challenge would go would come to the 
Like they would say, oh, there's a hole and it's right here because they're watching this high-def film upstairs. Mm -hmm. I, th I think that's fine, though. If it affects the play and if it affects the fact that a goal was scored or wasn't scored, then I think that's fine. I think if it's a sideline penalty that, like, a hook over, like, 30 feet away that didn't affect the play, that shouldn't be called and overturn the penalty because, or overturn the goal because it didn't affect the play, right? But I think if I think if something happened in front of the net that, you know, knocked the goalie over, deflected the puck in a certain way or whatever that wasn't seen originally, then that should be called if someone else saw it. Sure. Personally, that's yeah. it. I and I mean, is that not another element of strategy in the game? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, it sort of removes the skill and strength of the players and gives more power to coaching and to, to technology. Like, it puts the, hand, the power in the hands of, some power at least, in the hands of whoever uh, is coaching staff yeah. watching the game on film and looking at these high-def feeds. Yeah. And there's, there's tons of times where you'll see a sideline penalty remove a scoring chance like you'll have you know a breakout pass and it's a, immediately whistled down because there was a hook like way behind the play that didn't affect that wasn't even close to the play so you know it's kind of like a plus or minus there's there's calls that are made that are way outside and there's some that are, aren't called like right in front of the net so I think there, it, there might be some merit to having uh, a system where you like a penalty like that could happen and be called but if, if there's a scoring chance going on at the other end of the the, the ice you would just like this goal would count, and they would get a pen the person would get a penalty. Like if they did something violent, they would still mm -hmm. get a penalty for it, but it wouldn't impact the goal being scored because it had no effect. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's probably a broader discussion. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> uh, so why don't we go into? I mean, we've written down a few different examples of. In, like good uses of technology in sports. Uh, maybe we can go in, like discuss each one for a couple of minutes, whether or not you th you've seen it, whether you think it works. Um, go into a bit of detail, not too much. Uh, so the first one I have here is Eagle Eye, which Mike so helpfully named for me. The tennis system where they, the entire court's mapped digitally, and with with a series of cameras, they can tell, they can zoom right in and tell whether or not the ball actually hit the line, or hit, yeah, I guess hit the line or was fully out or in. Um, so have you guys seen this system in use? And do you, like, I think they get five or six challenges in, a, in the course of a match, um, but they get to keep them if they're right, I believe is the system. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I've, uh, sorry. So they get, yeah, they basically get five incorrect calls, because the call, like, the, the, uh, the umpire has a little screen and so it takes five seconds to check uh, and the the audience the people in the stadium and the viewers at home get feedback right away as they can see clearly whether that it was in or out um, so have you guys seen this have you do you think this is a good use of technology in sports Nick why don't we start with you I've uh, we have some tennis fans in my office so I've been watching a lot of tennis with them and it instantly placates the viewers <laughs> yeah. Like, they'll just sit there and be like, but I did, and then it shows the little ball and whether it, like, where it's been rolled along the surface, and they're like, oh, <laughs> it was out, oh, or it was out, or, yeah, it's like, it just, I think it's fantastic, because there it is, you know exactly what happened, and it's no longer an issue. Yeah, I agree, it's... 
it's nice. How are you, Mike? I've actually always wondered how it works, like the actual the algorithm or the technology or whatever that goes into it. Like obviously it tracks the ball somehow, yeah. and it's able to zoom in and do all do its thing. Um, and I, I don't, I've always wondered how accurate it actually is because sometimes it's like like right there on the line and it's like oh yeah that was in and it's like <laughs> okay like I guess you just take the system's word for it. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's good. I think especially with this fast game like tennis where you're trying to track this small ball and the angle plays a lot into it where the umpire is. So I think the the ability to overturn a call if you know the player standing right next to the ball sees that it went in or out, then they can say nope, that was in or that was out, and it's yeah, you know, it's immediate and it's a non-issue after that. So sure, yeah. Um, so just to clarify, it was it's the system is called. Or th there's another system that's this sort of the same thing, um, or I guess the company maybe even is is called Hawkeye. The, the, the oh, program I know is okay. called Legal Eye. Um, but so they use six or seven high performance cameras, in, usually in the stadium roof or in the rafters, uh, and so they triangulate the position of the ball in 3D, and it's they say it's accurate to within five millimeters. Hmm. They they trust it as an impartial second opinion. First use five millimeters is pretty good. Five yeah. millimeters is great. <laughs> well, I guess when you're triangulating with seven different points of view, I guess yeah. you can get that that accurate. I'm I'm assuming there are at least thirty frames a second cameras, if not sixty frames a second. Hmm. Um, That's a lot of frames per second. It is. <laughs> so yeah, you wouldn't get you wouldn't get the blur that you'd see if you're watching it on TV. Like the ball would be frozen, effectively pretty. I guess that's where the that's where the error is introduced. Uh, so this one is just a fun example. Fox tracks the puck system uh, that was introduced by Fox in the 90s uh, with a glowing puck and was quickly, I think within two years, was removed from the game. What do you guys think? Did you? I, I'm, I'm sure you've both seen examples of it, but maybe comment on its usefulness and whether or not it was useful to you specifically. Uh, uh, Mike, why don't we start with you this time? Um. Yeah, I actually... go for the guy with the Columbia jersey for the <laughs> hockey question. Come on, Scott Gomez is Latino. <laughs> um, Are you? <laughs> I've been told I could pass for Latino. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I, I actually started watching hockey after they introduced the, the puck tracking. Um, and even then, I'd never watched Fox. Like we, so I was never exposed to it firsthand I saw you know yeah you know the old vintage footage of it and I was like what the heck like why would you ever need that but I guess I can see the concept of it being useful in theory um, you know like even even when I when, when a guy takes a slap shot I, I don't actually see the puck come off his stick and go to the goalie I just know where it's gonna go so I I can follow the play that way but I can see someone who's just starting to watch the game they're like, oh, where did the puck go? Why is everyone moving around over there? Like, so, I it wouldn't be useful to me, but, and I think it's gimmicky, but it was a good effort, I think. But I think the people who could follow the game didn't like it, so they got rid of it. <laughs> yeah. I, on that point, like I know, uh, having talked to a lot of people that don't watch hockey and are new to Canada or North America in general. They'll be watching the game and be like, where's the puck? Like, where is it? And I'm like, 
Well, and then you like actually think about it yeah. and try to describe how you know where the puck is. And like for me, I've like tried to figure it out, and I'm pretty sure it's just the puck carrier tends to skate differently than the other players. Like they're actively use both hands on their stick and actively like hunched over a little bit. Yeah. Whereas everyone else is kind of a little more upright or hustling somewhere or something like that. Well, but, you, you, you follow the play, like you you can yeah, see, yeah. You see the play developing and where it's gonna go, and that's what you're watching. You're not watching where the little puck is going. You're just watching the play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, I can see why, like, if you're talking to someone who's new to the game, you can like, I can see why you would say, oh, we need some way to track the puck because they don't know where the puck is. But in the end, it just looks awful. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I find that point kind of weird because I've never had any issue seeing the puck. Like, I watch the puck. Hmm. Well, I, we don't all have your 2010 vision. <laughs> but the, 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 there's a very specific reason that the Fox Track puck was introduced on Fox in the States, and it's that they were trying to bring, they were trying to bring hockey into the mainstream in the U.S. And they, so they were trying to introduce it to a bunch of people who, as you said, didn't, like, they had no experience with hockey. Mm -hmm. So they didn't they and and it is. I mean obviously there are times in the game where you can't see the puck cuz it's on the boards on the near side. And so you're you're just in, you are just inferring 100% where it is based on how people are behaving. Um and again with with HD streams it, it suddenly became a little bit redundant to have the puck for those situations where it's either moving quickly uh, it just sort of gives you a bigger target to look at, and it's colorful, and um, but it's not really necessary. Because I mean, even even for people that are new to, new to the game, being introduced and watching it for the first time, I can see them being confused right off the bat. But then you, I mean, you pick it up pretty quickly. I would imagine it's not going to take years to learn how to look for where the puck is, even if you don't have eagle eye vision and <laughs> Rob Atrial vision. <laughs> uh, so this up, up next is a, a very relevant example because it's actually been used in the last two weeks uh, the goal line system in, in, that's being used now for the first time by FIFA in a, in a World Cup uh, setting so this is similar to the, the eagle eye system for tennis in that there are cameras uh, and there's actually I believe a laser system as well um, so this the the soccer system is is one that won out. There were several. I think it was almost it was four or five different systems for telling whether or not the ball had crossed the goal line in soccer. They were all tested before the World Cup in different scenarios, and this one won out. The the system of cameras and lasers that would specifically would let the referee know within I think it was 30 seconds whether the ball had crossed the line or not, and it would send him a little notification. His a watch or some device on his wrist would buzz if, if the ball crossed the line. Uh, and so in this World Cup, they actually had to use it. They actually, it determined, I don't know if it determined a match, but it it showed that a goal was scored even though it wasn't noticed by the ref on the pitch. Uh, and there was actually, there was a bit of confusion with it because in this one instance, the ball hit the post on the inside of the post and bounced slowly across, or it flew, I guess, and then bounced across the line by only a few centimeters. 
And so in the stadium and on TV, what people saw was the ball, right after it hit the post, they showed that it was not a goal. And then right away after that, they showed later in its trajectory that it had in fact crossed the line and then they marked it a goal. And so people were saying, oh, well, the system was wrong because it said no goal. But what they, what I don't think anybody really picked up on or very few people that were watching it live picked up on was the fact that the computer system worked perfectly. It was saying that before the ball crossed the line, it knew that it was not a goal. And then after it crossed the line, it correctly said, yeah. now it is a goal. So this people were saying the technology was broken and wasn't it working. It like proved itself. Yeah, that's exactly how it's supposed to work, and it did it very yeah. well. Yeah. So, I don't, did you guys have you guys watched any World Cup and seen the use of it, or at least them discussing when the ball hits the post or uh, whether it was a goal or not? Yeah, uh, I saw I saw used once in one game. I can't remember what specific game it was, but yeah, it was one of those where it was like dribbling across. And the goalie pulled it out as it was rolling on the line, kind of thing. And then they reviewed it, and it had crossed the line. Um, I think from the replays, you could tell it had crossed. Like from one angle, you could see that it had crossed. But if the ref didn't see it, then it it was useful in that end. So, right. um, so yeah, I guess it proved itself on that that instance too. I I was gonna say I've watched a bunch of World Cup being in a grad student environment, and uh, I hadn't actually seen an instance of it uh, being needed. Granted, I mean, I haven't seen any of the footage or anything like that when it was, in fact, needed, but um, I, it kind of challenged my imagination to imagine an instance in which you would have trouble seeing whether a full giant soccer ball had actually gone across that line or not. Because, I mean, I don't know if you remember when Curtis Joseph was in Toronto, but he was, like, the king of, like, grabbing a puck, a puck and slapping it down. Yeah. And then it would just be, like, you know, you couldn't see whether it had, in fact, crossed the line or not, and that was sure his favorite yeah. thing to do. Yeah. I imagine he kept out, like, at least 10 goals that way. <laughs> right. Well, and now they have the system that would sort of defeat that strategy because they all have high-def cameras mounted directly above the net so that yeah. the goal line is actually a plane, so you can see fairly well whether it went in or not from that angle. Um, but yeah. in terms of, I mean, obviously, it's going to be harder to judge whether a ball has crossed the line uh, if it's crossing it not near any of the posts or near the, the actual ground where mm -hmm. the goal line's visible. So if it's sort of in space, but across the plane. Yeah. Um, one specific instance, and uh, I forget if this was, it was about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, uh, an English soccer player named Steven Gerrard had a goal that was famously disallowed, but it was very obvious on replay that it had gone in, but they, they obviously couldn't overturn it or anything. And so, and I, I don't know if you're familiar with this physical uh, process of balls spinning, uh, but... Like uh, when when a ball is has a certain spin and it hits the ground at an angle, so in this case going towards the net, if it's spinning the right way, it will bounce back. It won't continue its trajectory. It'll bounce. It'll hit with such force that it ricochets right backwards. Uh, you can do that yourself if you just throw a bouncy ball at the ground with spin on it. You can make it either spin away from you or you can make it spin right back into you, right back towards you. Uh, and so what happened was the ball hit crossbar, which gave it spin, 
And so the, if the bar is, I'll try to show you. If the bar was, is here, this is the, the uh, crossbar. That's if, the bar, yep. It hit <laughs> down into the net, so obviously in, bounced back out, and then was, like, was it's cleared allowed. out. Yeah. But, so it was very clear, it bounced very clearly a few feet into the net, and but they called it no goal. And so th that was one of the, the, not the main factors, but one of the instances where having a system that would track it would make it very obvious, or even having an instant replay system. Yeah. Well, and the whole thing was maintaining the integrity of the game, or maybe the traditional roots, as far as relying on a ref, whether it's correct or not. It's like, oh, well, it's the ref's final call kind of thing, but it's like, well, you have to keep up with technology and the rest of sports, and, you know, people demand a fair and legitimate game, whether it's traditional or not. It's like, well, like... You know, it's there's so many more people watching and so much more riding on the line and money and all this kind of stuff. And it's like you can't leave that up to one person who might be like 50 feet away and being like, oh, I guess that was a goal or whatever. Right. Who also might be influenced by said money. Yeah. 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 Other pressures. Or, I mean, you've gone from a time when, you know, pre-broadcast, when like the ref was the only guy who was actually making that call. It was the ref and whoever was in the stadium that could see what had happened. Right. Mm -hmm. But now you're in an age where everyone in HD can say, or like, you know, even some broadcasters will like figure out what happened before the call has actually come back from headquarters or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like you've gone from where, you know, well, you got to have a ref and you got to go with the ref to where like, okay, so everyone in the world knows what's actually happened. Yeah. Why doesn't the ref, or why can't we use this in the actual course of the game? Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's very good that they introduced the, the goal line system, and it has it has at least impacted games already. Uh, the next one is sort of just an interesting use of technology, and it's actually a whole lot more complex than than you see going into it. But in football, they have systems that will digitally print um, different markers, like the first down line, the, the scrimmage line, that digitally print them on the, onto the field. So that, again, this is for people, if you, if you follow the game, if you know how it works, and you can watch on TV or watch it live, and you see the first down markers on the side of the field, so you know exactly where they have to get to, and you can extrapolate where they have to get to, but having the lines on the field for viewers is really helpful for people who are less familiar with the game, um, because it gives you a, a very precise view, and I was watching the CFL for the first time again in a few years last night. The, the first down markers are getting insanely detailed. Like, they're, they're pixel for pixel, Perfect on the field. Uh, so I don't know. What do you guys think? You, I'm sure you've both watched some football, but do you guys use the first down downline? Nick, I guess not. Uh, does having a first downline when you watch it, when you do watch it, does it help you, or is it sort of just it's there and you you make use of it, but it's not necessary? Or what do you think, Mike? I I don't use it when it's like first and ten or second and eight or that kind of thing. But when it's say like you know, third and two, and they, you know, they all line up, and I'm, I'm watching the ball, and to see if it crosses that yellow line, like, and then it's like, oh, they made it, or oh, they didn't, or oh, you know, it's it's on the line, we'll, we'll, we'll pull out the chains and see if it made it, so I am, I am using 
the line as kind of a gauge of if they made it or not in those situations. I'm not saying, oh, where do they need to get to? It's like I'm watching it to compare if they made it to that point where they need to get to, if that makes sense. Right. Like I can count out the two yards they need, but if, if the play's going on, it's it's easier to kind of watch the player and the ball to see if it crossed that yellow line on the field than to try to like look where the chains are and kind of, oh, it looks like it kind of went in. So to expand on that on that just briefly before we go to Nick for his opinion that is apparently going to be unfounded on any real evidence. Mike, <laughs> you've recently been to... <laughs> you went to a CFL game recently. Yeah. Did you find yourself wanting those lines or were you were you totally fine and you just used the chains? Yeah. I... To be honest, the experience of watching the game live... Football isn't, for, for me, football isn't the best game to watch live because you see so much more on TV and you get a better view, I think. Um, maybe my seats were pretty crappy too, but like for, from a seeing the play perspective, it wasn't the best. Um, so I think just from a following the game, I actually prefer to watch it on TV than to watch it live. You know, the experience of being at a game is cool and seeing the players there, but for following the game, I think I prefer to be on, watch it on TV, where you have, you know, that eagle eye view and see the play develop as opposed to trying to follow the play, you know, almost at player level. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, Nick, what uh, what do you have to add? Uh, on that note, I think that's an interesting question, like which games are better to see live and which are better to see on TV, because, like, even hockey, if I'm at the arena, they've started showing replays more lately, but for a long time it was just, you know, something would happen and it's such a fast game. It's like they'll make a call and I'm like, what is going yeah. on? Like, yeah. what just happened? Whereas I think baseball is actually great to watch live, but that's because, like, you can see the, like, everything that's happening all at once, whereas the uh, TV broadcast will just limit what you can see. So, mm -hmm. yeah, you're watching the pitch, but someone's actively trying to steal third. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah. So it's much better to watch yeah. baseball live than, yeah. yeah. But, um... What do you think of the first down sports. line? <laughs> um, as a non-watcher of football, it almost makes me, like, more incredulous of the sport in general. <laughs> Because I see, like, especially when I'm watching an NFL broadcast, it's like, you have four downs to make 10 <laughs> yards? Why don't you just, like, have a person pick up the ball and then throw him four times? Like, <laughs> I'm sure the bunch of you can figure that out. So it's like, yeah, why Why do they ever do something different? Four it's downs. Fun. What does that have to do with the first down line? No, he's, he's not talking <laughs> It's funny because when we played in school, we had that exact problem where when we played, we, we first of all, we didn't have markers for downs. For <laughs> but So what we did was we just split the field in half and we said, you get four downs to a half. And so if you can get across the halfway line in four tries, you get four more tries to get in to the you're, end zone. You're, you're talking about, like, pickup football, not actual football, right? No, I am. Yeah. Actual yeah. football or pickup football? Pickup. Oh, Although I like that... I like that from an Albertans perspective, uh, like a CFL perspective, it's like, well, four downs, you just get across the whole field yeah, that yeah. way. Like. Yeah, that's what we always did. Yeah, you'd have four downs to get a touchdown. 
<laughs> I, I have played that way too. Yeah. 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 But yeah, anyway. But ten yards. Ten yards is a three down job. <laughs> but you know, I what I have watched, I enjoy having the line there. Just so I can see visually how far they actually need to get. Doesn't right. seem like that far, but Yeah. Yeah. So, Mike, you have here fencing suits. Do you, is there something you wanted to say about them, or is it just sort of an I don't know. technology? It's always like, in the Olympics, I always watch, not always watch the fencing, but I'll see fencing highlights, and there's actually, like, a ton of technology that goes in those oh, fencing yeah. suits. Like, it's, it's amazing, and, like, you'll have, like, the two, like, fencers, I guess I'll call them. They're, like, they both jab at each other. I don't know, like, epayers, or I don't know what the proper... French I terms. Think are fine, I think. Sure. We'll go offensers. Offenders. They go to like stab each other at the exact same time and like the suit or whatever lights up to say who hit who. And it's like there's no possible way anyone else would be able to tell who got the point except unless it was for like that the sensors on the suit and whatever. It's like and just I don't know, it's, it's crazy how far we've come where you can have competitions with that much precision and that little subjective judgment where it's like, you know, yeah, you got the point you didn't, even though it looks you hit each other exact same time. Like, I don't know. It's, I don't know. I have no idea how it works, but it's, it's cool that they're able to use that. It's actually super simple. I, I don't know if you have anything to add, Nick, but, or if you have, no? I think it's a great idea. Um, <laughs> that, Yay, amazing. technology. Yay, sports! So the way it works is each person, they're wired up behind, like you can see a wire going out from behind each fencer. And so all the all the sword does is complete a circuit. And so whichever circuit completes first, oh. the other one, and that's how they tell who hit first. Hmm. There you go. See, I thought it was like a sensor type thing. Like, that it, it pushed no, the sensor. mild electric. There's a huh. current running through the fencers and... It's obviously very mild and is grounded properly and all that. Yeah. Very cool. You start technology. sweating and you just get Splash, electrocuted. Yeah. <laughs> or squirt your water bottle at the other guy and it's like... <laughs> yeah, they're very low voltages. You're not going <laughs> to... Um, cool. Yeah. So we've talked a bit about this. Um, I guess the next thing... Um, we can talk a bit about technology around collecting data for coaches and for trainers and for the athletes themselves that are competing. Um, and so in the last, I mean, obviously people have been collecting statistics on sports for hundreds of years. Um, but in the, in the recent past, the last few years, there's been just this amazing, because, because we have so many different sensors uh, that are getting a lot smaller, we have this amazing array of data that um, people are able to crunch and tell you things about sports. And one of the things that you, uh, I think, Mike, this was you adding again, uh, talking about 538, the statistics site that Nate Silver founded. Um, and so they, they talk a lot. Five th uh, Nate, Nate Silver is the guy that predicted perfectly, I think, state for state, the outcome of the 2012 um, presidential election. Uh, and so... They go through, him and his colleagues go through all kinds of different things, politics, sports, um, any number of, um, anything that basically has to do with statistics or um, data analysis. And so they've, for example, in the in this World Cup, they've broken down every game and they talk about, like they, they extrapolate 
Um, and basically the only thing they got wrong in the World Cup was that Brazil, the Brazil collapse against Germany. Uh, and I'm not because even even as the game was going on, they were tr they were trying to update stats real time. But at the start of the game, they uh, Brazil was 78% likely according to their statistical analysis, which again is very accurate. They were 78% likely to win the World Cup outright. Not even that game, but the World Cup. And it was just so off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. You still had the 22%. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. no. I, oh, yeah, I yeah. It's just, yeah. it's interesting to see that no matter how far we get in this statistical analysis, there's always going to be the human element. And in that case, I've, there was a, there was a story on, on uh, 538 as well as on uh, Slate about just why, uh, sort of the backstory of why that game happened the way it did and how not having their captain and their striker just completely demoralized them and they've, like having to also as well the pressure of having to beat this superpower team in your own stadium in your own country it's just like there was so much pressure on them and the expectations were so high that the pressure just got to them yeah. um, but Mike what did you want to say about 538 oh just the the analysis that they do go through um, you know I've seen a lot of stuff that they do with the NBA and how you know they compare guys like LeBron and um, Dwayne Wade and uh, Kevin Durant and all those guys with you know the pre the past greats like Jordan and Larry Bird and all those and they'll they'll kind of they'll crunch stats and you know pl like graph them and they'll you know kind of have like these curves that show you know these guys are like in a class on their own like the past guys when you normalize all the stats and all that kind of thing and account for different rule changes or draft quality or that kind of thing that these guys are like like in a class of their own kind of thing and like but that they're able to take the stats that they have and put some meaning to them um, and just like I don't know just the, the fact that you can yeah like you said you can get a lot of information if you just take all that data especially in this day and age where you have like you know different types of tracking of like whatever different diff, like oh, yeah, they have sensors and cameras on the players yeah. so where they're going and where they yeah, shoot exactly. all this yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, shooting percentages, all that kind of stuff, and it's like that. It's you wouldn't have that if you didn't have the technology to allow for that type of data tracking. So, and to be able to use it in the way that they do is is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, they actually showed that I think it was Miami Heat they used as, as an example, but saying that fouling the Miami Heat late in the game is not worth it because, or yeah, it wasn't worth it because they're so they're getting so good at shooting free throws that you're you're just giving them more points than they would get if they went down. And tried to score. So their free throw percentage is better than their just field shooting percentage. Right. Like it, basically, the the conclusion was either way you lose because a they're very good if you don't foul them. <laughs> fouling them <is> worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. In the again to bring it back to the World Cup, they have statistics. Whenever someone gets subbed off, they show how how many kilometers they ran during the game. And a I think that's incredible and fascinating that they run, I mean, if you go into extra time, like 11 kilometers or 12 kilometers, um, but basically they have, they keep track of where every person is at every moment of the game to the point that it's almost, you could almost exactly model it with a computer program. And that's again why sports uh, video games have gotten so good because we have this point for point 
like down to the second data analysis for every major sport and every major player in those sports. Yeah. Yeah, Is I always there... see I always see the kilometers that that they run and it's like I can barely run like 10 kilometers period let alone like play an entire soccer game while performing at like a world cup level and scoring goals. Like I'm I'm lucky to get through 10 kilometers jogging let alone sprinting and kicking and yeah. diving and rolling around. Make the statistical analysis bore you. <laughs> I would think as a chemist you would like it. No, actually I am an adherent to fancy stats in hockey. But like, they call them advanced stats, but honestly it's like adding and subtracting numbers. Yeah. So I prefer the uh, derogatory moniker fancy stats. But like, I would like to see more tracking involved in hockey because like it's... Like soccer, it's a very low event game. So whereas baseball, you have extremely high numbers of events, so you get good statistical analysis out of that. Like hockey's just goals are goals are inherently so fluky that it's hard to predict them or mm -hmm. hard to predict the overall performance. So I'm huge fan of stats. I would love to see more data collected. I would love for that data to be freely available across the intertubes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just generally a fan. Yeah. I think it would be kind of cool to publicly release stats, even if it's a couple of years behind, just to keep that competitive advantage and whatever. But if, you know, say every, like, you, you get the, every, all the stats five years previous and back, or three years or however much. And, yeah, so anyone can just kind of, do whatever they want with those stats. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, so, I guess at this point, we will we'll go to a bit of um, making this personal. Mike, we'll talk about your point of... Or I guess, you, why don't you introduce the discussion of the human connection? I think it really hit me a lot when... Well, actually, when we, back in the Flames Stanley Cup run, we were able to go to the Saladome and watch the game there, even though it was happening over in Tampa. Um, that was the game six. Um, and, uh, you know, it was cool, like, that the stadium was fairly full. And uh, we were able, just through the magic of television, be able to, to watch the game as well. And then, you know, with this past Olympics, when, when Canada was, was playing their, their hockey, you know, I was able to watch the game on my phone, like, walking around the mall. Like, you know, it's like, when I would have never have thought that in this, there would come a time where I could just have this thing in my hand, like, experiencing it at the exact same time as everyone else. And, you know, there are other people at the mall watching the game on their phones too. And it was like you know, you're all experiencing it at the same time. And even with the World Cup, like Maria was over in Colombia, and I was here watching the game, and, you know, there's, like, Facebook updates, and we're, like, texting each other, and it's like you're watching the game together, but you're not together. And you're, like, celebrating together, and it's it's all happening through technology because you're not right there next to each other. So I think that that's a really big tech advancement in sports that isn't immediately relevant or immediately obvious as being relevant to sports itself, but I think it, it contributes a lot to, to that experience. Right. And so even the fact that now news 
it, I mean, even 10 years ago, news traveled within hours. Uh, but now news travels within seconds. You, I mean, Twitter made a huge push with this World Cup to basically whenever you open the app on a mobile device or even on a, on a desktop in a browser, it'll say, oh, this game's going on. Do you want to look at pictures? Do you want to see people that are involved in the World Cup, what they're saying? Um, I mean, obviously, it'll tell you the score right off the bat, but um, just all the discussion that's going on, basically, the entire world can... I mean, it is a World Cup, after all, but the entire world can experience it, even... I mean, it's happening pretty much in my time zone here, but across the world, where you're 12 hours away, they can still be getting the exact same experience as, as I am if they're willing to stay awake for it. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you, you mentioned social media as well. Mm -hmm. um, have you been using, other than to talk to Maria, because obviously she's she was out of the country, have, have you found any use either just discussion-wise or keeping up, keeping tabs on a game through social media instead of if, if you're not able to watch it or if you're, for instance, at work or... Yeah, like, you know, I on Google Now, it allows you to follow specific teams regularly as far as when their games happen and the scores. So through the World Cup, I've been keeping an eye on Google Now and seeing what the scores are and that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, you get, you can, there's other apps that will schedule notifications for when games start, when players score, when penalties happen, all that kind of stuff. Um, or just, yeah, through social media, like, people will be watching the game and they'll be posting when players score or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I've definitely, definitely found that useful, um, especially, yeah, not always being able to watch the game or whatever. I can always just keep an eye on the score. And, you know, using the CBC World Cup app, I can just bring the game up and, and watch the game wherever I am. Like, it's... If, if I see it's a close game in, like, the 80th minute, I can watch the last 10 minutes of the game and or watch a shootout that's happening or whatever, and it's, it's just immediate. Yeah. If I may jump in, um, Free Agent Frenzy over Twitter? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I felt like such a Twitter addict. It was just me sitting here going, refresh, refresh, yeah. refresh. <laughs> we got Leo Komarov! And, yeah. It was wonderful because we got Leo Komarov. I hope uh, one of the frames it uses as the as the thumbnail for this episode is you screaming directly in the camera. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that I mean, I don't get too yep. much into the draft stuff, but uh, I know that both of you guys are big on NHL trades, and I know that it's a big like TSN does it the whole trade center thing. Uh, during, I mean, they have the draft. They have like a draft center or something, because I know at the trade deadline they have trade center. Yeah, I think it's still trade center, isn't it? Okay, yeah. it's all just okay. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, there's so much that goes into making sure that all this. It, it, I mean, because it, because it's a 24 hour news cycle, there's no there's no off time. So anytime anything happens, you have to be ready to to tell people about it. And then, but there's going to be people there as well, paying attention and waiting for it. Yeah. I think one of the cool things now is that players will have their own Twitter accounts and, you know, they can post their reactions, you know, immediately following a game or they'll be watching, like, you know, I, I don't know if it's Luongo's account or a parody account of him, but, you know, he'll have, 
posts of reactions to trades and that kind of thing. I don't know, Nick, do you know if that's Luongo's actual account? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, is that actually him? I'm pretty sure that's him. Okay, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so anyway, like, yeah, you know, he has a lot of followers, and he'll post, and like, oh, you know, they got, we picked up whoever because we look alike or whatever, and it's just, (laughs) you know, he interacts with the fans, and, like, you know, and players will say, oh, congrats to whoever, and it's from a different team, but they're still watching and interacting, and to be able to follow that and, and see the genuine human element of athletes as opposed to these multimillionaires that are living their dream playing, you know, they're they're coming down to our level and, and talking to us. It's kind of cool, I guess. There was, uh, it was, once again, Leo Komarov at uh, the Olympics in Sochi. He ran into Phil Kessel and JVR from the Leafs, and it seemed like he wanted to come back to the Leafs, but he posted a selfie of him, like, standing with the two of them, saying, I ran into some friends! And I... So, yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. It's like, yes. Yes! <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, did you see recently at Strombone 1, um, when I think Miller went to Vancouver, yes? Yeah. 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 Posted, like a bunch of, like, little rain emoticons, and then, like, one sun, and then, like, ten more rains, and then one sun, and then, like, 15 more rains. Right. Because he was going to Vancouver, and it rains a lot. Oh, okay. I was going to make that connection. Yeah, yeah no. It's yeah, clever. It, it was funny. Yeah. It really brings... It makes... I mean, one of the things that I love most about Twitter is that it sort of brings everyone down to the same level. Mm-hmm. Like, you get to see... You get to feel like you're actually a part of that. When someone gets traded to Vancouver, you're like, "Yeah, that's really cool." I, I like, I, I, it's almost like I get to experience it yeah. with them, especially if there's a picture or something yeah. attached. And it's not just like a, a social media manager sending out inane stuff. That yeah, yeah. There's actually a whole thing where it was on. I can't remember what, it, what the topic was, but William Shatner was like. Oh, how did like so and so get it verified? It's like, oh, it's supposed to be for like special people, or I can't remember what word he used. And then he got a whole bunch of like hate. It's like, oh, who are you to like say who should be verified and who shouldn't? And like, oh, you think you're like all good? And like, it's like when when you're on Twitter, it's like you're not like you're a different person on Twitter. It's like you're not special anymore. You're like on our level, and like you're subject to the backlash of whatever happens on Twitter. It's not like it's like if you th- if you thought you had some sort of level of hierarchy is like that doesn't exist on Twitter. It's, it's kind of cool to see just whoever just like oh like you're all washed up and whatever. Like you're saying this to William Shatner. Like it's him. Like Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> like I don't know. There're definitely people who handle it well and people who don't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so that's all I had on the on the sports topic. Um or at least it's it's an hours worth of stuff on the sports topic. Is there anything else you guys wanted to add before we go? Well, there's still there's other stuff that we uh, we can push to the next or to another episode, and we can talk about. I'm I'm eventually we'll eventually get into talking about fitness um, with all these sort of health trackers coming out. We'll eventually do an episode on that, but I think we'll save some of the stuff that pertains to that and to sports for that episode. Yeah. Cool. Uh, you guys have anything to add? Can we talk about, like, potentially kinesiology kind of stuff on that episode? Absolutely. Yeah. Apparently there's a guy that goes to Western, and he, like, part of his research is the kinesiology of hockey players and goaltenders specifically. 
cool. interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get him on. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, we should. We should start having <laughs> guests, special guests. Yeah. As long as we make sure that they have a working camera, microphone, and internet connection. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, I guess that's it for this week. Next week, I don't know. We'll, we'll have a science episode, and I don't know what's going to be yet. It'll be a good I've, one. Weren't we between, like, two ideas last week, and then we went with sports, but there was another one? Yeah, was like, oh, yeah, we'll do that the next week. I wanted to do... No, but the last one was music, but we're doing a science next week. Oh, right. The science of music. Harmonics and... <laughs> Waves. We could, yeah. but I I think we'll we'll go a little broader first. <laughs> We've only done three. But yeah, so that's I guess that's it for this week. We'll say bye for now and follow us on Twitter. And YouTube and Facebook and Google Plus. Probably not Facebook. <laughs> Mostly Google Plus. Mostly Google Plus. Twitter too. Shout out to our Twitter followers. Shout out to our seven hundred Twitter followers. What? Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> so I'll see you guys next week. Thanks, Rob. See you then. Bye. See you guys. <laughs>